tongues. Here we go again. You know, I'm sure that you've heard the question. You may have even asked the question. Uh, over the last hundred years or so, it's become a rather hot topic in the church. The charismatic movement raised this and other issues concerning the Holy Spirit's activity in today's church. And it's obvious that not all Christians see eye to eye on these matters of the Spirit. But this is not a new issue. It was an issue nearly 2,000 years ago in Corinth. Apparently, questions were being asked about the Spirit's place in worship and in the life of the believer by the Corinthian Christians. And even though we only have Paul's side of the correspondence, we assume they asked him to clarify the matter. And he did so in chapters 12, 13, and 14 of 1 Corinthians. Now, you would think that would be the end of it, but it's not. Because, believe it or not, those on both sides of the issue appeal to those chapters to support their position. So, we've got our work cut out for us. And this morning, we're going to begin in the 12th chapter. We're going to take things Slowly and carefully, we're going to try to discern just what the situation was in Corinth and then examine step by step what Paul had to say about this most important matter, and we're going to do so over the next several weeks. This morning, we're going to take a look at just the first six verses of chapter 12, what I believe to be Paul's introduction to the topic of spiritual gifts. And he begins, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. Now you may have noticed that following the New American Standard Version, we have italicized the word gifts in that passage. And as we've noted before, italicizing a word in the Bible isn't done for emphasis. It's done to indicate that the translators have inserted a word that really isn't in the original text. The word gifts actually does not follow spiritual in the Greek. And the word translated spiritual is probably better translated spiritualities. And from the Greek, there's no way to know for certain whether Paul is referring to spiritual gifts, spiritual men, spiritual powers, or just spiritual things. So I think we're better off just leaving it spiritualities. Now, it's true he's going to be talking specifically about spiritual gifts. And the exercise of such gifts was no doubt the question that had been brought before him. But spiritual gifts are just the tip of the iceberg, the part that shows. In order to understand spiritual gifts, we first have to have a basic understanding of what's under the surface, the spiritualities themselves. 
And that is where I think Paul intentionally begins. I think he's saying, now I don't want you to be unaware of the spiritualities that underlie the spiritual gifts and the problems that have developed in your exercise of those gifts. You see, not everything that is spiritual is from God. And not everything that's spiritual is good for us. And I think that's the point Paul is making. By reminding us of three basic spiritualities before addressing the topic of speaking in tongues. He begins by calling our attention to idols and the power behind them, demons. And then he points to the triune God revealed in Scripture and his role in the matter of spiritual gifts. Now, again, we're going to hurriedly go through this. We're going to take a brief look at each of those spiritualities this morning examining both their nature and character and and what it is they have to offer. What is it they want to do for us or to us? We begin with idols. Verse 2. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the dumb idols. However... You were led. Now, we've already seen how idolatry was rampant in Corinth. And here Paul reminds the Corinthian Christians that before they became Christians, while they were still pagans, they worshipped dumb idols. Now, by dumb, he isn't saying that the idols weren't smart. Okay? He's simply saying they couldn't speak. And while it's was certainly dumb to worship them. The point Paul is making is that these idols were unable to respond to anything, let alone the petitions and needs of the worshipers. They were just chunks of stone or wood carvings. They weren't gods at all. They had no power of their own, yet they had at one time controlled the Corinthians. They had been made captives of dumb idols, powerless wood or stone gods that were unable to do anything, let alone anything for them, with the possible exception of providing some type of personal gratification or pleasure from their worship. These idols were useless, yet they had become gods to many people. Now, we've discussed idols before, and we've seen how allowing anything to push God into second place can rightfully be called idolatry. A job, a hobby, a possession, a person, even a religious practice or exercise. Just about anything can become an idol if it demands our devotion and throws our priorities out of order. Anything that controls us, that takes us captive, 
has become a god. But how does it do it? How does a dumb idol get control? Paul gives us a hint when he says the Corinthians were led astray to them. Or as the King James Version puts it, carried away. The picture is one of captives being led away. The Corinthians had been led to their dumb idols. And then, even after stating that fact, Paul reemphasizes it by stating again, however, you were led. Get the point? Something's at work here. The dumb idol didn't do it by itself. You were led away from God. Someone or something had carried them off to idols, a power. A force outside the idols and outside of man himself was at work. And is still at work. For us, I think that means some spirituality can take anything. A perfectly legitimate desire to succeed in business. A wonderful hobby. Or even some exciting religious experience. And turn it into a God. It can carry us away into bondage. Bondage to a false God. Bondage to a dumb idol. Well, just what was that spirituality? I think Paul gives us a clue in the next verse. Verse 3. Therefore... I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul speaks specifically about the Spirit of God here or the Holy Spirit. But I think it's obvious that he is intimating that something other than the Spirit of God is also at work in the world. He spells it out for us in Ephesians 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, again, note that forces and places are italicized. Paul actually says, against the spiritualities of wickedness in the heavenlies. He's talking about spiritual beings that inhabit the spiritual realm. He's talking about Satan and his host of demons. They are real. They exist just as surely as God and the angelic hosts live. And they can influence men's lives and thoughts. And they can lead us to dumb idols. In fact, their only intent is to lead us away from faith in God. And they do that primarily by carrying us away to some false God. They can do it. 
So how can we tell if they're doing it in our life? How, how can we know if we are being led by demons? That's a scary thought. How can you tell? You can tell by simply looking at where we are being led. If we're being led to say Jesus is accursed, we're obviously not being led by the Spirit of God. Now, who would say that? Well, the Jews actually did. In fact, Paul no doubt said it before his conversion. And he thought that he was serving God by making Christians give up their faith and say something just like that. But now he could see that was the work of demons, not what God wanted and anyone who said it was obviously being led by a spirit other than the spirit of God. But there's more to it than just saying it, okay? It's more than just saying Jesus is accursed. I'm sure Paul is thinking about anything in life that would demean our Lord. The Spirit of God is not going to lead us to do anything to dishonor the name of Jesus or to bring reproach of any kind upon Him. Now, on the other hand, it is only by the Holy Spirit that a man can acknowledge the lordship of Jesus and can truly say, Jesus is Lord. And the phrase, Jesus is Lord, is one that had real significance for the Christians living in the Roman Empire because the cry of every good Roman citizen was, Caesar is Lord. For Christians to declare, Jesus is Lord, could cost them their lives. It was a statement of loyalty, of, of allegiance. And obviously, demons aren't going to lead anyone to declare allegiance to Christ. They won't lead anyone to recognize the lordship of Jesus. Now, I'm afraid that this verse has been misused by some well-meaning persons as a formula for identifying the source of spiritual gifts. I've heard it said that according to this verse, if someone says Jesus is Lord, that it verifies that he's under the control of the Holy Spirit, and therefore whatever he's doing or saying is of the Spirit. Now, speaking in tongues, the working of miracles, even the bizarre teachings of cultic leaders have thus been given the unquestioned stamp of approval because someone heard them say, Jesus is Lord. I think that's a dangerous assumption. You know, the Gerizim demoniac, while under the control of demons, recognized Jesus as the son of the Most High. And the slave girl with a spirit of divination recognized Paul and his party were bond servants of the Most High God who were proclaiming the way of salvation. So don't believe it when someone suggests that just saying Jesus is Lord is a guarantee that what they're teaching you is of God. It's not. It's not. 
It's not a mark of the Holy Spirit in their life. A mark of the Spirit in someone's life is a life that is in full submission to the fact that Jesus is Lord, not just the ability to say it. Okay? Big, big difference. Living a life of surrender to the Lordship of Jesus, that is where the Holy Spirit leads. Anything that draws us to complete trust and faith and obedience to the place where Jesus is truly Lord of our life is of the Holy Spirit. And you can count on that. But anything that is leading us away from Jesus, causing us to let other things push Him into second place, is not of the Spirit of God. It's of the devil. And he's a spiritual force to be reckoned with. It's important we understand this. Obviously, we must be aware of his influence as we venture into an understanding of spiritual gifts. Because Satan is a liar and the father of lies. He's the deceiver who can disguise himself as an angel of light. The Bible makes that very clear. We must be very careful to examine the direction into which we are being led. We need to honestly evaluate whether what we are doing is truly helping to make Jesus Lord of our life or if it's simply a religious experience that we enjoy and one that actually tends to push obedience to Christ into a secondary position. If it's pushing the person of Jesus out of first place, it's a spirituality we better walk away from. The final spirituality Paul calls to our attention is the true God, the God of revelation or as seen at work here, the triune God. Let's read those verses. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Now, this passage is a little bit subtle, but I think it's a very exciting passage about the nature of God and what He does for us. Because in those verses, we actually see the Trinity. We see the triune nature of God. Paul speaks... Openly, of the Holy Spirit. Then he mentions the Lord, which is a reference to Jesus, the Son, and to God, the Father. He speaks of one God with three manifestations and three distinct operations in our life. And all three are for our good, for our upbuilding, 
to help us fulfill our reason for creation, to give real purpose and meaning to life. How different from the designs of the devil. God wants to bless us, to fulfill us, to bring a real sense of excitement and adventure to our lives. And he does it through giving us gifts, helping us put those gifts to work, and by guaranteeing the results of the exercise of our gifts. Let's look at that a little closer. You know, in verse 4, Paul reminds us of the source of spiritual gifts. They're from the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to take a close look at the varieties of gifts Paul refers to next week. So for now, let's just focus on the fact that the Holy Spirit is in the business of giving gifts to believers. Besides bringing us to Christ, the gift of all gifts, and leading us to acknowledge Him as Lord, the Holy Spirit gives special gifts to Christians. When we accept Christ as our Lord and are made part of His kingdom, the Holy Spirit gives us, every one of us, at least one special gift. A special divinely given ability to be used in kingdom work. A special activity for us to perform as part of the body of Christ. This is important for us to understand. Because it makes each one of us a unique part of a divine organism. And Paul's going to paint amazing pictures of that as we study ahead. Knowing that we have been gifted, we've been given something special by the Spirit of God to be used in the context of the body gives us a real sense of worth. We're important to the church. Every one of us. He's got something for us to do. He's enabled us to play a role that only we can play in that body. Pretty, pretty exciting. Now, again, we're going to be spending a lot of time discussing what the gifts are, maybe even trying to figure out how we can know what gifts we have. If Scripture says we've got one, some of you are going, I don't know what mine is. We're going to work on that. For now, just simply accept the fact the Holy Spirit has given you a gift if you're in Christ. Then Paul points out in verse 5 that there are a variety of ministries, a variety of services for us to render, but they are all from the same Lord. They're all from Jesus. I believe what he's saying there is that Jesus will give each one of us a ministry to perform in his body. He will open for us the doors to a special area of service in which we can use the gift or gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to us. You see, we're not given gifts for our own gratification. We're given gifts for the good of the body. And Jesus will see to it that an area of ministry will open up for us. If you want to be used, Jesus will use you. He will give you an area of service, 
a ministry that is tailored for you and for the gifts the Holy Spirit has given to you. It's His church, and He'll put you to work if you're willing to be put to work. Now, maybe you don't want to know what your gift is because you don't, you figure out the rest of that. But we've been gifted. And Jesus has a role for every one of us to play within the context of the body. That's amazing. That's amazing. Now, obviously, we're not going to know that your gift is if you don't express it. And if you don't come to us and tell us what it is. I don't think it should be the elders or mine or Steve's role to go around and keep saying, well, now, what's your gift? What's your gift? Okay? That can get kind of crazy. And I've known churches that kind of, I think, went too far in that whole area of gift discernment. But if you come under the conviction that there's something that needs to be done in this body or in the kingdom of God at large, and you're sensing that the Spirit has equipped you to do that job, let us know about it. Let us join with you and encourage you and give you what you need to get the job done. You see how it works? That's how we become an effective body. I think, I think it falls on you to say, what is it God wants to do with me? Now, if you just can't figure it out, come to someone. And we'll sit down and we'll talk with you. We'll explore options with you. We'll give you some stuff you may not want to hear. Some jobs that need to be done. <laughs> that nobody wants to do. <laughs> You may be uniquely qualified to do that. Right, Rick? That's right. Poor Rick. He, he's been my go-to electrician. And he said, I'm, I'm getting to the place. I don't know if I can do that anymore. And I said, oh, now that you mentioned it, i got one more job for you. <laughs> and poor Rick, he, the ladder doesn't work very well, getting up in the, the attic. He was up there, how many times did you say? Four or five times? Four times. You know, I mean, making that leap of faith, <laughs> literally, to get there and wire up our Wi-Fi for us. Now you say, what's the big deal? The big deal is that's an important part of the body. Okay? Not everybody can do that. Not everybody can do that. There are that kind of stuff that needs to be done. There are spiritual things to be done. There are teaching that needs to be done. There are acts of love and service that need to be done. All kinds of things need to be done. And the reality is, in most churches, what, 10% do 90% of the work? Well, wouldn't it be a whole lot better if everybody was involved? Saying, what am I supposed to do? What's my job? What unique gift has the Spirit given to me? And what ministry is Jesus opening up that I can put that to work and I can feel really good? Now, that's not to demean the importance of just being here and encouraging one another, okay? That's still important. Don't say, well, if I don't have a job, I'm going to stay home. No, no, don't go there. But we ought to be trying to find what more God wants to do because that fills up our life and excites us. Amen? Amen. It does. It really does. And that's what this is all about. We're not... We're not wanting to hammer people. We're not wanting to guilt you into doing stuff that nobody wants to do. 
We're not trying to just answer the confusion that runs rampant throughout Christianity with gifts and we get sidetracked with all kinds of things. We just want you to know what, what God wants you to do so you can feel good about your role in the body. That's amazing. And that's what we want. And Jesus will give you something to do. He will. And then, according to verse 6, God is responsible for the effects of our ministry, the results of our labor. That means we don't have to be successful in our eyes or in the eyes of others, only faithful in God's eyes. You know, if we will gratefully accept the gifts given to us by the Holy Spirit and faithfully apply them to the work Jesus gives us to do, God will see to it that what He wants to get done gets done. This isn't a contest, okay? This isn't a competition to see who's the most gifted or who's the most effective. I mean, there are parts of my body that are very effective if I don't know they're at work. We'll not go there, okay? And that's the way it is in the body. A church functions best when there are all kinds of things being done behind the scenes that nobody knows about. It doesn't, it doesn't mean it's not important. We don't, we don't do it to find approval. We don't do it to compare my gift with your gift. We don't say, oh, you know. And Paul's going to talk about that. He says, just because you're not an eye or a mouth doesn't mean you're important. You, know, you may be the most important pinky in the body. Okay, so do what a pinky does, whatever... I think he does. And we're not going there either. Do you get the point? This is, this, is, this is really cool. We don't have to impress anybody. And we don't have to worry about whether we're effective or not. Just be faithful. Just be faithful. God will get done what he wants done. You know, Paul's already told us that. He's, he's already made it clear that But the result is not up to us. He said what? Um, He planted, Apollos watered, and who gave the increase? God did. If we're just faithful doing our part, God will do what he wants done in his body. And that frees us to just do whatever it is Jesus wants us to do. We don't have to worry about how it looks, what others will think, or how our ministry compares to anyone else's. There are varieties of effects but the same God is at work in you who's at work in your brother. And whatever God does through your brother is no reflection on what he chooses to do through you. We must all make ourselves simply available. Use the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us to fulfill the ministry Jesus opens up to us and God will give us the results he wants. Now, I think that is real spiritual living. I think that is life abundant. And that's what God wants for us. Not a life tied to some dumb idol Not a life of captivity and manipulation by demonic spirits, but an abundant, full life. A life of service 
that is gifted and effective because the almighty triune God is at work in your life. And that's the life He gives you. If you will walk away from idols and surrender yourself to God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and surrender to our God.